Uh, if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 14. And if you have your, uh, your bulletin this morning, you can pull out the notes section and, and uh, jot some notes down. I'm calling this morning's message, What's Gotten Into You? And um, just by show of hands really quick, anyone hear that from their parents growing up? Anyone ever hear that? Was that just me? Chris Shelley. I knew Chris would, would hear that said of him. Ron's in the back. I've got a couple. You still hear it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you, you probably get a sense of where we're going this morning with this uh, and the whole idea of God making his home inside of our lives. But uh, I, I grew up thinking this was my code name, you know, <laughs> uh, being asked this question, what's gotten into you, you know, as I was acting up or doing something. But here it is in a, in a, in a positive sense and in a positive light. And the whole idea of change as God comes in and makes his home, makes his dwelling, camps out with us and the powerful thought of that. It wasn't always this way, though. And, and even as we're talking this morning, we need to remember that Jesus is talking in, in a context that, that the end of the story hasn't been written yet. We haven't seen how it's all going to play out yet. I put in your bulletin this morning, John chapter 7, verse 38. Just look at it with me for a moment. It says this. Whoever believes in me, this is Jesus talking, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And then he clarifies it, John does. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So this was earlier. This is John chapter 7. We're entering now this new era of the Spirit. And we're kind of looking at this transitional time here of when this is happening. Remember this whole idea of the hour has come? Now is my time to be glorified? And this is Jesus keep talking about my hour has come. My hour has come. Now's the time to be glorified. Well, this is what this is talking about. The Spirit hadn't yet been given in John chapter 7. But by John chapter 14... It's, it's coming. It's here. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. If you're there, just kind of follow along with me. It says this. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I, too, will love him and show myself to him. Let's pause there for a minute. Remember, this conversation is happening all at once. And we're taking it week at a time. And so a whole week's gone by. And before that, two weeks because of Easter. And so it's beneficial for us. I would just challenge you and invite you, go and read John chapter 13 through about 15. Go read it all at once. 
If you have an audio online Bible, you can listen to it and just hear God's word read. Hear the whole conversation played out. Because what happens is I don't want to just get tunnel vision on something here and forget what's being talked about or forget the context that he's talking about it. And this right here is in context of Philip's comment, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. That's what he says to Jesus. And remember Jesus' response. His response is, don't you know me, Philip? Anyone who's seen me has already seen the Father. And so he starts in with that, and then he gets to this part about the Spirit. So he starts talking about the Father and Him being one. And then do you notice the the flow of the conversation? It flows right into the Holy Spirit. He says, but there is another. There's another part of who we are. There's another part of how we function. And it's the Spirit. Just from our passage today, the Spirit is known. He's called the Spirit of Truth. He's referred to in my translation as the Counselor. We'll get into some other translations and what he's called there in a short while. He's called the Holy Spirit and that he'll be in us. That's the Spirit. Now, think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus is the one speaking. He's in the flesh before their very eyes. He's actually the first Counselor. When he says, I'm sending another Counselor, you can go check out 1 Peter where Jesus is called a counselor. Jesus says that he's going to be in us. Okay? Catch this now. Spirit, Jesus. Now let's move on to the Father. The Father's be the, the one being asked to send the Spirit. The very end of our passage today in John 14, the Father is the one whose commands Jesus always fulfills and obeys. Here's the thing I'm thinking. I'm thinking God's a little bit bigger than we, than we think. I'm thinking that God's escaping from our box, isn't he? Just when you think you have God figured out, just when you've got enough pithy, you know, little sayings memorized about God and a cute bumper sticker, he just blows all that apart. And you come across passages in Scripture and you go, woe is me, I don't understand Jack about anything. I'm a three-year-old being asked about Santa Clara. I don't get this. Just in verse 16 and 17, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, referring to the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And saying all of that was Jesus. Father, Son, Spirit. Let's read on. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says this. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord... Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. Jesus cannot talk about the Father without speaking of himself and then bringing in the Spirit. Jesus can't promise the Spirit without talking about both himself and the Father. In two chapters... Chapter 16, starting in verse 13, it says this. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, not it, remember that, 
He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. I want you to look at these four images for a second. And I think most of us in this room would be hard-pressed to come up here and explain in detail and in depth and answer anyone's questions about how the light bulb works. Take a jet airplane, or for that matter, the rainbow behind it. Explain those to me. When you get home today, open the hood of your car, look inside, and explain it to your spouse, to your friend, to your kids. Maybe some of you could do that. I happen to know a couple of you that could probably do that. If you have kids, go pick up your kid. Explain to me how their body works, how they're made. These are things we see every single day, all the time. We use a car most every day. We use lights every day to be sure. We can't even explain that stuff. And here we are. We're going to talk about God who made the universe. And again, you just approach this. and You begin to realize in a really good way how puny I am. How small and insignificant this planet that we live on really is when we start to dialogue and think about and then try to explain these kinds of things. The reality is that you take the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and I was sitting in my office this week and I just had one of those moments where, you know, talk about a light bulb going on. I just sat there and I, I, I thought about this statement. I thought about this fact that Jesus can't separate them as he talks about them because they aren't separate. Now, I know that. I've been to Bible college. I know about the Trinity. But that's why, that's why as he starts to talk about, Lord, show us the Father, he starts to talk about himself and the Father. And then he launches into this whole discussion on the Holy Spirit. And you get this sense in this dialogue in the next couple of chapters that we're going to look at over the next month or so, and you just begin to realize, man, these are so inextricably linked together that he can't talk about one without bringing up the other. He can't separate them because they're not separate. And that's the mystery that's kind of unfolding before us. Now, I've got a lot of things in your in your notes this morning, and that's so I don't have to say it all. You can go home and read it and look at it yourself. Again... Like every week, I hope this merely whets your appetite a little bit to get hungry and go, what, what is that really talking about? Dave barely even touched on that. There's whole themes in here this morning we're not going to touch on. But just in looking at this, that, um, that Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit, he's promising the Holy Spirit here for the first of five times. In this conversation, in this upper room conversation, he's going to promise the Spirit five times over. And that's why I said, like coats of paint, we'll keep coming back to the Spirit and keep talking about the Holy Spirit. But remember that this conversation is taking place in, in, a, in an upper room to disciples who are fearful, and he's comforting them. Remember I said last week that, that he kind of, this, this overarching umbrella of this conversation is comfort. I want to comfort you. It's going to be okay. Remember he said last week, he said, guard your hearts, trust in God, trust also in me. It's going to be okay. 
And I'm sure they were just looking into his eyes, longing for some morsel of comfort, because they were scared. So remember, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, for instance, he's not running a, a, a theological seminary discussion here. He's not starting a class. He's not looking to start an argument. He's looking to comfort his disciples, whom he knows he's about to leave. Now, some different translations, I put these in your notes for you, but NIV says counselor, NAS and ESV call it the helper, helper, call him the helper. The New Living Translation says the advocate, and then King James Version calls him the comforter. And it translates this this word in, in verse 17 all these different ways, and it's kind of a unique word that, that John uses. And just a couple of notes on it. it. It essentially is this compound word that is para, like a parachurch ministry. It comes alongside the church to help. So the word para is just coming alongside. And kaleo is this idea of calling. So the Holy Spirit is one who has been beckoned or called to come alongside you as a believer in Christ and to help you and to assist you and to comfort you. And as I thought about this, I thought about this image that, um, that I've had in my mind as a, as a coach. And a coach in the Tour de France, if you're a cyclist riding in the Tour de France, you have a coach that drives along in a car behind you. And what this coach does is he has an earpiece that he's talking to you. So you're a cyclist riding along and you have a little earpiece in your, in your ear. And what this coach does is this coach has already driven the course. He knows the course. He knows right where the hills are. He knows right where you should attack. He also has all of the time splits of the competitors. He knows whether the, the rider should ease up a little bit. He knows how his, how his rider's doing. Nowadays, they have heart rate monitors on their riders, so they can actually see the, the wattage output of their body. I mean, it's crazy, the information they have. But... As I ride my bike along, you guys know I ride my bike a lot, I always sit there and I'm like, man, it'd be so cool to have someone in my ear going, you can do it, Dave. Come on, Dave. You're slipping a little bit. Come on, keep on it. And once in a while, in the Tour de France, they'll put a camera right in there on the coach. And I think it's so cool because they'll just sit there and go, you can do this. Come on. Keep going. In about, you know, 500 yards is, is the hairpin turn. After that, you're going to see the summit. Go, go, go. And they're nonstop talking. And what's so cool is the person in the car has a totally different perspective than the person on the bike, don't they? They know more. They can see more. They know just what that rider needs to, to know. And it's all for the rider. They know even what motivates. They might talk differently to a Lance Armstrong than to some domestique that's just riding along, kind of doing his thing. They know what motivates. And I thought, man, that's the Holy Spirit coming alongside us, whispering in our ear, ever-present with us. Once in a while, the car will pull up and have a face-to-face and hand a water bottle or something to the guys. But that's the idea of this, this helper this advocate, this comforter that's coming alongside. Now, the Old Testament talks about the Spirit. I want you to remember that the Holy Spirit has always been. As a part of the the Godhead, this triune God, it's not like the Spirit just shows up on the scene. In the Old Testament, just a couple of examples, uh, the, the Spirit is given divine personhood and authority. 
Go and read the, the, some of the creation account. God said and the Spirit said are repeatedly used interchangeably. Go read Genesis 1 and you see that the Spirit is active in the creation story. Psalm 139 asks this question, Where can I go from your Spirit? And it's this idea of the omniscient Spirit of God. So He's there, right in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, now that the hour has come, things are going to be a little bit different. And Jesus actually is predicting. He's looking ahead a little bit to Pentecost, to the day of Pentecost. And this distinction is going to be that all disciples worldwide will be filled with the Holy Spirit forever. That's the distinction of the New Testament Spirit's role and activity and the Old Testament's Spirit's role and activity. We used to sing a song when I was a kid growing up, and it said, Take not thy spirit from me. And I remember one of my youth pastors, he said, let's, let's not sing that verse. Or if we sing it, let's sing it with the knowledge that that's an Old Testament role of the Spirit. But the Spirit can't be taken from us. And I love that. I, I love the, the knowledge of that. And that's the role of the Spirit in the New Testament. The idea is that it's the same in essence. God the Spirit is the same in, in His essence, but He's different in, in our experience. So sometimes the Spirit is described as wind, right? It's hard to draw wind. It's hard to really put a, a handle on wind. But you can sure see the effects of wind. And you might see different experiences as you read the Scriptures. Now Jesus says this. Look at, look at verse 28. In verse 28, Jesus says this, You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now look over at chapter 16, verse 7. Probably a page over. 16, 7, he says this, But I tell you the truth. Remember, this is the same conversation. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So what Jesus is saying is this. Look up on the screen for a minute. Jesus is saying that being indwelt by the Holy Spirit is better than having Jesus in the flesh with you today. Now, we come to a little bit of a crisis of belief here. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because it might be a little bit awkward. But just ask yourself this. Do you really believe this? I mean, haven't you thought before, God, it's so hard to be a Christian. It's so difficult. If only I could walk with you. If only, I mean, I know you're here with me, but if only you were really here with me in the flesh. As I'm walking along and I have a question, I could just turn to you and ask you. When I'm filled with grief and when I'm filled with persecution, I feel like I don't want to stand, I would look over at you and I would be given the strength to keep going. Let me put it to you this way. How many people would show up at church today if they knew Jesus in the flesh was speaking this morning at Neighborhood Bible Church? What if somehow you knew I was telling the truth? If I said next week, Jesus is coming in the flesh. I mean, think about it for a second. Would you show up to church next week? 
there's a pretty good chance you would. If nothing else, just be like, I want to see if this is real. Now think about this. Here, here's what Jesus is saying. And we either believe this or we don't. He's right or we're right. What Jesus is saying is that you showing up to church here with the Holy Spirit living inside of you and me showing up this morning with the Holy Spirit living inside of me is better than if Jesus were here teaching you. Is that true or not? As you go to your work Monday morning, better to have the Spirit or better to have Jesus? Jesus says, this is better for you if I get out of here and I'm no longer here in the flesh. I had to really think about that. I'm starting to see why Jesus said last week, guard your hearts. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Because as he looked at them and said, look, for three years, we've been like this. We've been tight. I've been helping you in your trials. And now I'm leaving you. But it's going to be better for you. Trust me. He says, trust in God. Trust also in me. I think if we get to know the Spirit, we get to understand more of why Jesus can make this statement and more of why we could look at this equation and say, yeah, I believe it. I believe it. If you're taking notes, I want you to write three things down. Three roles or functions of the Holy Spirit as He relates to us. We're going to look at more of this in the weeks to come to be sure, but this, this chapter has at least three. The first one is that the Spirit guides. Not Spirit guides. That's a whole different like track and, and wavelength. We're not talking about that. The Spirit guides. He gives us wisdom. He gives us remembrance. He gives us insight. I want you to think about how many websites there are that will help you with these kinds of issues? How many advertisements come across in your week that will help you with these kinds of things? How to heal, how to be married better, how to get rich, how to stay rich, how to keep your job, how to forget and move on, how to become a leader, how to parent your teen without killing them, how to pray, how to understand, how to, and you fill in the blank. And the question that is begged every time you see all of this, is you just go, is it helping? All of these require reading these books or visiting these websites. And guess what? The disciples had none of these. And yet, these life skills, these things, were imparted to them, given to them. Verse 26, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Circle in your Bible the word all and the word everything and begin to pray that into your life. Begin to trust and believe that in your life. That's the application under this one. Jesus, you promised that the Holy Spirit would teach me all things. I need to be taught right now. You're in a situation. Jesus, you promised me that your Holy Spirit, 
who was going to live in me forever and never leave me, would remind me of everything you said. I know I've been a little bit weak lately about reading your word and memorizing all that, but right now I need to be reminded of what you said on this subject, in this circumstance, in this situation. John sixteen thirteen again, a couple verses over. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. The spirit guides. The spirit guides. Notice he doesn't force, but he guides. And we're this willing participant of following his leadership. Have you tasted of this? Has this been true in your life? I can remember very distinctly my junior year of high school as I was meditating on Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And I remember walking around the halls of Prospect High and I remember seeing this come true in my life. What I started to do in that January of 1987 was I started to read God's Word every single day because I thought it might help. I'm not a rocket scientist, but, you know, thought maybe I should read the Bible. That seems like something that a Christian should do. So I start reading it. And what starts to happen is conversations that I have on Thursday, I was equipped for on on Tuesday. Guess what? On Tuesday, I had no idea the conversation I was going to have on Thursday. And I just remember going, whoa, whoa. That's crazy. I just read about this. A person would ask me something. I'd say, I totally know this. I was just looking at this this morning. No way. I'm just going through a reading program or something. God, you're here. You're showing up. You're equipping me for ministry. You're guiding my life. I see you now. I get it. And I remember it was so powerful in my faith to see that happen firsthand. Not to hear it. I'd heard testimonies for years of people in church who would say this. But to begin to see to my own life was a really powerful thing. I want you to think of the best counselor you've ever had. And I want you to think about why that counselor is so special to you. What is it about that counselor that's so remarkable and why you would say, hands down, it's this person? Maybe it's their insight. Maybe it's their wisdom. Maybe it's the fact that they're a great listener. Maybe it's the fact that they're always available. You always feel welcomed in their presence. Now, I want you to take that counselor, and I want you to just try and wrap your head around multiplying him or her. I mean, a thousand is just really weak, but let's use a thousand times, okay? What if there was something available to you, a person always with you, with infinite insight and wisdom and cared for you deeper than this person does. As you arrive in that place, you begin to get a little scope, a little picture of what the Holy Spirit is. And I'll tell you what happened in my life this week. I found myself confessing a lot. Spirit, I know you can be grieved. That's part of how I know you're a person. The Bible says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry for diminishing your role in my life. I'm so sorry for rushing to another counselor first and then checking in with you after the fact. 
I'm so sorry for longing for a word of wisdom or comfort or approval or confirmation from a person before I've gone to you. The Spirit guides. There's a song by Third Day out right now called Revelation. It says, the chorus says, give me a revelation. Show me what to do. I've been trying to find my way, but I haven't got a clue. Sounds a little corny when you read it, but when it's rocking out, it sounds pretty cool. You know what? That's a great song. I'll just belt that in my office sometimes and just go, help. God, I need to know what to do here. I hope you've learned the secret of short prayers. God's not impressed with our flowery prayers and, you know, big theological words. Any more than we'd be impressed with our kids who say, Father, I bequeath thee. What are, you know, it's like, what? That's just weird. Just ask me. Here's some short prayers. Pray in the moment. You don't have to bow your head. You don't have to fold your hands. You can just say it in your heart. Remind me of what's true right now. You know, when you're facing temptation, remind me of what's true, God. Now. Show me the way. What is needed in this instance? When you're in conversation with a person and you're not self-focused, you're them-focused, what do they need right now? I'm supposed to give grace according to the need of this moment. I don't even know what that is. What does this person really need? It's deeper than what they're saying or what their words are communicating. You give me insight into how to help this person. Give me the answer. I need, a, I, need a, I need an answer, Lord. Give me courage. could go on and on. You probably have your own favorites. Pray them. Maybe you don't know how to pray. Look up at the screen for a moment. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Remember last week praying in Jesus' name? And you go, I don't know if this is in your will or not, Lord. Spirit, thank you for praying for the saints on their behalf. You're the coach back in the car with the GPS and the heart monitor. I'm just pedaling. I can't really even see that far ahead. All right. Not only does the Spirit guide, but the Spirit also comforts. The Holy Spirit of God is the tender source of solace to everyone who's wounded, who's grieving, who's in despair, and who's defeated. Some of you are shaking your head because you've tasted of this, and you go, yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know how I would have gotten through that season without the Spirit of God being right there with me comforting 27 of our chapter, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. We could spend a lot of time on this one. There's a lot of great material out there. One of our chapters in Practice of Godliness was peace. And the guys and I just looked at that and talked about that and read about that and meditated on that. But just a couple of thoughts. Fourteen books in the New Testament either open or end their book with this phrase, grace to you and peace. 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So according to this, I would look at this and say the source of peace is the Father and the Son. Grace and peace. And I would say the role of the Spirit in this is that He's the one that administers this. Think about Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. There it is. How is it given? It's given by the indwelling Holy Spirit. How is it experienced? It's experienced by keeping in step with the Spirit. You ever try to go after peace? Billy Graham said, when I tried to, when I tried to go after the, the, the dove of peace, it flew away. I'm going to butcher this. Sorry, Billy. But then he said something in effect of when I looked, kept my eyes on Jesus, it, it, it returned. It's not something you muster up. In fact, all that does is keep you stirred up. Got to have peace. Got to have peace. How's that working out for you? (laughs) Good luck with that one. It's a gift. It's given to us, peace is. You know, there's a second part to this idea of comfort that King James readers would have understood really well, but we miss it because most of us in this room don't speak Latin. I don't, but I've got the internet. Um, Part of the word comfort is derived from this Latin word that has this word strength in it. Think forte, strong, strength, comfort. So there's a tender side of comfort and there's this strength side of comfort. And isn't that a great word? See, we miss it. I think part of why we wouldn't, that's not a great translation because if I think of comfort, I think of blankies, I think of mom's you know, cookies, whatever. It's like soft, tender. But a person in King James Day would have understood that there's two sides to this. There's the tender side and there's the strength side. Part of the role of the Holy Spirit is that he provides strength when we're weak. He empowers us with courage and boldness that is supernatural and doesn't belong to us and doesn't well up from within us. You ever walked away from a conversation and go, whoa, that sure wasn't me. I'm usually never that bold. I would never have brought that up because I would have feared confrontation right there. That's the Holy Spirit giving you strength to speak the truth, to speak powerfully. Thirdly, the Spirit confirms. In this whole idea of spiritual adoption and whether someone knows whether or not they're in the kingdom of God, the person of the Holy Spirit plays a huge role in this. This promise that Jesus is offering them is twofold. In part, it's future. He says, help is on the way. It's coming. I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit's coming. Again, he's looking. You can read about it in Acts. He's talking about the day of Pentecost. It's going to come. This day is going to come. Secondly, this promise is hidden. Look at verse 17. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. This whole idea of the world not seeing the Spirit of God. You know what the Spirit of God is to the world? It's a joke. It's mumbo jumbo and it's a total joke. It's something to be laughed at. Because it's mystical and it's not understood. I was uh, with my brother-in-law not long ago. We were looking at, uh, we were taking some pictures and we're at the beach, and he's wearing his sunglasses, and he turns, his, he turns my camera 
uh, kind of vertically like this to take a vertical picture. And he goes, how come the screen shuts off when you turn it vertically? Well, it was a relatively new camera. I said, what, you busted my camera? <laughs> what happened? So I went and looked. I'm like, what are you talking about? It works totally fine. And he goes, no, it's not working. And so I went and, and what we realized was he has polarized sunglasses. And when he held the camera this way, he saw it totally fine. But when he rotated it vertically, the image went away. And I just thought, you know what? The Holy Spirit's exactly like that. The Holy Spirit's functioning on this wavelength that some in this room, totally as I talk, your own spirit is agreeing with the words that I'm saying. And as you hear God's word read, it's just like it's on this, yeah, I hear that. I get that. And for others, it's like my brother-in-law, Eric, with his polarized glasses. What are you talking about? You're crazy. And I just go, you're crazy. You don't see an image here? It ain't broke, buddy. It's you, you know? And that's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, look, I'm going to tell you this in advance. People are going to think you're nuts. They won't see him. They won't experience him. You will sound like a crazy person to them. Isn't that true today? You start talking for God for very long, like more than about two minutes, you start sounding crazy to a person who doesn't see it and get it. And that's why you just say, God, I'm just going to keep casting seed wildly. It's not up to me whether this person sees this or not. The test of a Christian is whether or not you have the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. That's just how it goes. Acts 2.38, I had a great conversation with someone in our church almost a year ago, a relatively new Christian. He said, Dave, I've got someone asking me at work about, um, about God and this whole deal. What should I tell him? And this guy is kind of a straight-to-the-point kind of guy. You know, what I, you know what I did in that moment? Here's the Holy Spirit. I hadn't been studying about this. He says, by the way, my friend's Jewish. I said, oh, this is too perfect. I said, Peter preaches this sermon in Acts chapter 2. And you know what he's preaching to? He's preaching to a crowd of Jewish men. What he preaches about is he says, men of Israel, you killed God. The blood's on your hands. This Jesus who was just crucified in our lifetime, you did it. And instead of stoning him or killing him or running out of town, running him out of town like happens elsewhere in scripture, it says that they were cut to the heart. And what, what did they ask? Anyone know what they asked? What must we do? Instinctively, they knew that something should be done about this. Not what prayer should I pray? Where's the card I can sign? Is there an aisle I can walk somewhere? Please. Should I join? It's what should we, what must we do? Here was Peter's response. Quite simply, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This, this test of whether or not you're in God's family. People want to know this when they're on their deathbed. They want to have someone with a cloth, with a cross, with a book come in and tell them it's going to be okay. Well, the test according to scripture is whether or not God's spirit is really living inside of you or not. I want to just read some verses and let the scriptures speak for themselves, okay? 
Romans 8.6. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Galatians 4.6. But you are sons. God sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. 1 John 4.13. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Gatorade has a campaign right now, is it in you? And the whole idea is obviously drinking Gatorade. The question I would ask is, is he in you? Isn't it true that you can be, as it were, baptized <laughs> in Gatorade? And it's a totally different effect than if Gatorade's in you. Can't you be all around the Holy Spirit, talk about the Holy Spirit, be in a church that discusses and believes in the Holy Spirit as if you can have a godly Christian church without that, and yet not have Him in you? Of course it is. And people do it all the time. People show up Sunday after Sunday and they don't know why their conscience isn't pricked. They, 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 they can't figure out why they don't have peace. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The message is the same for us today, folks. It hasn't changed, really. As the band makes their way up, don't be distracted by them walking to the stage right now. I want you to focus on this. Do you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you? Much in the same way that we would notice a drastic difference of someone possessed by a demon of Satan. And they would do things that just say, what has gotten into you? <laughs> Knock it off. You're freaking me out. When the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells in your heart, and I'm not talking about an organ in your chest. That's just the term we use in English. Something changes. You begin to not just hate the penalty of sin, you begin to hate sin itself. You begin to, to realize that when you do wrong, it's not just, I, I would hate it to, to have to be punished for this, but it begins to grieve your own spirit because you understand it's grieving God's spirit. You begin to open up the word and it's, it's as if someone turned a light on and you can actually see what it means now. Your experience in life is such that someone takes the camera and turns it vertical and asks if you can see it. And you go, yeah, totally. Not, hang on, let me meditate for several minutes first and assume a position and face a certain direction on the compass. You walk away saying, yes, I know this. I've experienced it. If not, 
if not, and I'm not talking about thinking about this for your spouse, for your parents, for your kids, for that boss who really needs the Spirit. I'm talking about you. If not, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the starting point to this whole thing. It's the beginning of life. And it's nothing we muster up, try to do, get our lives cleaned up, straightened out, in order, and then we come to church in God. That's not the way it works. Repent. Don't cower in shame. Don't walk away thinking I'm a jerk. Go and wrestle with this. Repent and be baptized. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, you're about to move on in this conversation and talking about abiding in you, resting in you. And you call yourself a true vine and that we are, we are grafted in to this, to this living plant. And God, this picture of a dead root laying there versus something that's alive and tapped into the nutrients and water and changing because of the sunlight and producing fruit is how you describe the Christian life. God, we are so sick and tired of playing church, going through motions, wasting our time, I look around at our church and church in America and I cry out to you, there must be something more. Oh God, I pray that you would help us yield to you. Spirit, thank you for your leadership and your patience and your guiding and your comfort and the confirming work that you are doing right now in the hearts and minds of those that have been called of God to believe. And Father, as we sing to you, Jesus, as we glorify your name, and Spirit, as we worship in you just now, our soul desires that you be glorified, that you'd be shown for who you are in our life. We praise you this morning for revealing just a snippet more of who you are. And we do pray this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Amen. I just want to close with a verse and, uh, and then we'll dismiss. And... Um, <clears throat> From Galatians 5, it's familiar to us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Don't we need the Spirit's work in our life to pull any one of those off for any length of time on any given day? This is not about the law. This is not about works. 
This is not about becoming a good person or adding a little bit of God to our lives. Now catch this. Against such things, there is no law. We're no longer bound by our list of how we're doing right now. Since we live by the Spirit, that's a given. As a Christian, you live by the Spirit. That's the only way to have life. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Do you realize that you keeping in step with the Spirit is going to be a huge witness to this body of believers? Someone who's struggling in their faith is going to see the Spirit of God in you and you keeping in step with them, and they're going to go, no way. There's no way this thing is not real. I have to believe it. I don't understand it, but I have to believe it. Sunday mornings ought to be more than you coming and receiving. The Bible teaches about the priesthood of all believers. And if you know that you're in Christ and He's in you, you have the Holy Spirit. Minister to one another. Give to one another. Pray as a family on the way in. God, we're ready. We want opportunities to do good today to this church, to people here in this room. I'm not kidding when I say you're a good-looking bunch. We all look pretty well put together, don't we? You scratch beneath the surface in anyone's life in this room, and we're in need, and we're hurting, and we're struggling. And that's why God's given us this community. I met someone today and I said this, and I'll say it again from the front. Coming for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday, you're missing out. Please, I I beg you because I love you. Get over the awkwardness you may feel of getting plugged into a community group. I don't care if it's an NBC-sanctioned community group even. Get with people who have the Holy Spirit and walk together. You were not meant to do this thing alone. You cannot read the New Testament and tell me that. So I implore you, rearrange your life, rearrange your schedule, get plugged in with a group and a body of believers. They're not there to have a Bible study and fill your head with knowledge. They're there to worship, they're there to grow in community, and they're there to share and serve together. One quick heads up before I dismiss you. In your bulletin today, it says that there's a Mexico missions trip coming up on August 8th through 15th. That much is true. The rest of it's an utter lie. And, and it's, I'll just ask for forgiveness. It was my bad. We're not having a meeting today. I'm meeting with Jonathan today. So there is a Mexico meeting, but you're not invited. <laughs> so if you want to come be a part of things, Jonathan, just raise your hand really quick. This is his seat. No one can sit in it. Actually, you should all fight for this seat someday. I want to see what happens. Um, Jonathan and I are going to meet. Jonathan and Bertha are, are heading this up. By then, they'll have one more uh, person in their family. And um, you think you're a faith-rich person. Yeah, they're taking a newborn down. Um, We're going to have Mexico meetings coming up, but it's not happening today. So don't show up in room seven unless you want to pray with other believers. Then it would be highly beneficial. Um, I love you and thrilled that you're here. Uh, Don't rush out of here unless you absolutely have to. Uh, Take a moment to to get to know someone. Behind me, the band is going to sing a song called All Bow Down. And behind them is going to be a cross that is going to remind us from Easter of this idea that the only way any of this is possible is because of the risen 
uh, victorious Jesus from the dead. You are dismissed. Go grab your children. Thank a child worker today, and we'll see you in the week, if not before.